Lauren Trees, Principal Research Lead for Knowledge Management at APQC. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode features a great chat with Dana Tessier, KM Director at Shopify, about her new book on KM and organizational culture. And I want to let our listeners know that you can find the book and a discount code linked in the episode description. Now here's my chat with Dana. I'm Lauren Trees from APQC, and I'm here today with Dana Tessier, who is Director of Knowledge Management at Shopify. So thank you so much for being here today, Dana. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. It's nice to see you, hear you. Yeah, Dana, I've known you for, I don't even know how many years, and we at APQC have watched you expand the KM effort at Shopify and speak very eloquently about KM on various stages. And now you've kind of taken the next step and co-authored a book on KM, the Handbook of Research on Organizational Culture Strategies for Effective Knowledge Management and Performance. So I was hoping you could start by saying a little bit about the book before we delve further. Big picture, what's it about? Awesome. Yeah. So organizational culture is something that I've been really fascinated about for a long time, especially coming at it from being a knowledge management practitioner and you know, before Shopify working with different organizations and seeing things work in one place and then not work at all in another location. And Shopify in particular really made me think about this because we have a very strong and well-defined culture. And while I've been leading knowledge management Shopify, we've grown substantially, but the culture has been consistent and has stayed with us as we've grown. There's different evolutions and different patterns and, and all these things that emerge, but uh, our culture has remained strong and has really enabled us to do a lot of really cool things. And so culture seems so critical to get right when we started building out knowledge management. And so then I really started to dig in and I started to understand that this was a real true barrier to success for people when implementing knowledge management. And so I just got really fascinated and I wanted to understand what are the different elements that make up a culture that's going to support knowledge management or what are the things you need to watch out for and, and prevent and how can you navigate that? Because often coming from a knowledge management practitioner seat, it, that might be difficult. You know, we may not have the keys to the kingdom to make those changes. So what are the different things that we can do to navigate that and still have a successful knowledge management strategy and do what we were mandated to do? So the book really seeks out to answer those questions and understand, you know, what makes up a healthy organizational culture that's going to promote knowledge management? What do you need to watch out for? And what are the different um, practices or uh, methodologies or models that you could leverage to really navigate culture and make sure it's a success. So we've divided the book into three sections. There's a people section, which talks about really the, the individual, what, what's going to motivate them? How do we navigate success? There's a chapter about trust. Um, there's a chapter about leadership and, and what are the different types of leadership skills that will make knowledge management successful and, and many others. And then there is a process section that really dives into models and techniques and uh, and specific methodologies that you can leverage. And then lastly, there is a, a piece on technology, which also includes a case study from Shopify uh, on how we implemented a new intranet, uh, and uh, which we call the vault, and talks about what 
processes and methodologies we use to launch that while navigating our strong and well-defined culture. Culture is such an interesting topic because so many KM professionals come to APQC and say, we're launching a knowledge management program because we want a learning culture, because we want a more innovative culture. But at the same time, if you don't have the right cultural foundation in place, it's very difficult to get KM off the ground. So I wanted to start with some of the basics. What do you see as the the cultural enablers, the must-haves to make KM successful? And then what are the maybe deal breakers in culture that, that just make it really difficult to, to have KM flourish and provide value? Absolutely. So the culture enablers really comes down to how is information flowing through the organization right now? Is there transparent and open communication? Are decisions explained to employees? Uh, how is that communication happening now? And are we trusting employees and giving them that full message? So I do think it starts with trust. And if we're not trusting employees to share information from leadership, how can we expect them to share information with us and, and, and share their learnings and best practices with each other or with, with other leaders? So I think a couple of questions on how things are communicated, to what degree are people enabled to ask questions after? Is it a safe space to ask questions? That would be a really good starting point for understanding how information is flowing and if uh, encouraging people to share knowledge and use knowledge will, will be successful. The other thing that comes up for me in regards to an enabler is how are people measured for their success? Um, and because if they're going to be measured for their output only in a very like quantitative measure of success, uh, that might prevent them from having time to share knowledge and to help others because it's a very individualistic way of measuring success. So really looking, how are people rewarded? What are the uh, behaviors that are, are held up as an example of this is what great looks like at this organization? And if you know, are there any existing stories of people sharing knowledge and not being appreciated? Is there any sort of, you know, lore that can be brought forward that can share these stories? Or is this a very different uh, type of organization that maybe needs to do more of that first before they go into like a full-blown knowledge management implementation? Um, so those I think would be some pretty critical uh, enablers and then detractors that competitive environment, right? If you're if you're competing with each other for resources or recognition or um, accounts or commission or something like that, that's probably going to be a difficult environment where we're saying, okay, now share knowledge and help each other, and, and the organization will benefit. Um, similarly, when things are uh, really locked down and being heavily monitored in like a technical way. Like there's been a lot of research that's come out, you know, during the pandemic, people are trying to monitor their employees more and, you know, to the point of taking pictures of them every few minutes while they're sitting at their desk. And that type of monitoring really signals a lack of trust in employees. And so that's going to signal that, you know, we may not have the right trust ingredients to make knowledge management successful within, within this organization. 
You're really speaking my language, Dana, because I think so much of this comes down to what leaders say is important and then how they put their money where their mouth is in terms of how people are measured and incentivized and what the, the culture of the organization says are the ingredients that help you you know, progress in your career, because that's ultimately the thing that is most important to people. So I wanted to shift gears because I think the people part is really important. I think we talk a lot about the individual incentives and what drives organizational, um, you know, culture from that perspective. I wanted to ask you about this process section of the book that you mentioned, because I think that from a KM perspective, that might be an area where you can actually jump in and, and do something. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was hoping you could say a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So we've got some great uh, items within that section. So there's a whole part about lessons learned and, and why do lessons learned fail and uh, what can we do to navigate that? And so uh, there's a, a supply chain uh, mental model that's used to describe what are the different stages of collecting lessons learned and identifying them and then how can you make sure that they're used? So really good kind of process for, for leveraging lessons learned. Um, there's also a, uh, a concept, a, a chapter about concept maps and um, really understanding how is different information structured across the organization and who's depending on different things. It's really a way of seeing the relationship of different knowledge artifacts and how those are being leveraged to really understand how things are flowing through the organization. So that's also a really great tool um, that can be leveraged. Um, and then I've also included a chapter about the knowledge management triangle, which is a model that I created um, while working at Shopify. And it talks about how you can, you know, identify and capture knowledge, but then make sure that it's flowing through the organization and looking at the different methods uh, to make sure that knowledge is being captured, but also shared and used and that it's creating some sort of action within the organization. So that model was uh, compared to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so it's a whole concept, like there's certain critical things you have to do at the beginning. Um, and then as you move up the, the triangle, you're gonna be achieving greater success and, and getting better leverage out of your knowledge management strategy. I love that you're mentioning interdependencies. And I feel like when we do knowledge mapping, when we do knowledge audits, all of those kinds of activities that people are so much more motivated to take time and energy to share their knowledge when they understand that people are actually receiving that knowledge and using that knowledge and getting benefit from it. Obviously, personal incentives are really important, but there is an altruistic nature to this. But if you feel like you're writing things down and putting them into a repository and you don't get any social feedback that, that other people are looking at them, liking them, using them, then that makes it really difficult. So I think when you can have that holistic picture and people see the gaps and how maybe their lack of documentation is affecting things down the road, or conversely, that if they are sharing that knowledge, that that's helpful helping people down, down the chain, that can be really, really useful from a cultural perspective. Absolutely. Like, I think it's so important for people to understand the impact they make on the overall organization and knowledge mapping or concept mapping can be a really 
good way for people to see, oh, wow, this is the impact I make. This is how I affect the organization. And, you know, this I play this important role by doing these tasks. Uh, I think that could be motivating on a few different levels. So definitely a good practice. And you mentioned transparency earlier. I also think that that's another element of transparency is giving people that big picture view of how their work affects the whole. I think that's Absolutely. great. So you wrote a chapter for this book called Knowledge Sharing in a Digital, Remote, and Disrupted World, The Role of Trust. And I know we've touched on this trust topic, but I want to talk a little bit more about the experience of KM over the last two years. And I was hoping you would start with a little bit of your personal experience at Shopify, um, shifting to virtual work and, and how that's affected what you're doing in knowledge management. Absolutely. So prior to uh, the pandemic, we did have a large remote and distributed team, but then we also had a team that was in the, within the office. So now we're calling that the hybrid model. I don't think we were using that language back then, um, but we did have folks that were, that were remote and then we had folks that were in office. And so a lot of what we built had to be accessible by everyone in that remote environment. So when the news came that we were going to be virtual for some time, I was able to come home, open my laptop and just work as I had been working within the office. So no disruption from a technology perspective, which was really fantastic. But then you do start to see, okay, how do we really need to work in this environment to make sure we have the right rituals and the right cadences to share information and where are things kind of breaking down? Because for those folks that were in office, they obviously did have a very different way of working of, you know, tapping your neighbor on the shoulder and asking them questions or finding out about things in the cafe or at the, in the kitchenette or whatever. Um, and uh, we had to then kind of bring them along with our remote employees and make sure that they were developing those new habits and those new ways of working um, so that they would be successful. And I think for us, one of the things that was probably interesting is people didn't know how long is this remote world going to last? And so do I really need to change my habits if this is a temporary thing? And so for Shopify, it's, it's not temporary. We have made the decision to be a permanently remote and distributed organization. Um, we made that decision quite early on. It was uh, in May of last year, which feels, you know, looking back now, like that was a very early, early decision, but we, we went boldly and uh, there's no, there's no looking back. Um, and, uh, and so it was really speaking out to those employees and helping them kind of come along um, on that, that remote journey that some of us had been on for, you know, five, six years at that point. So how, do you feel like the culture at Shopify has changed at all going all remote or has it stayed the same? What's your experience of that over the last how, 19, 20 months, wherever we are into this mess? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my experience, like there's definitely been some uh, some changes, but overall, I think we would say we just continuously become a better version of ourselves. And specifically, we've really kept up with a lot of things that we were doing previously, but then adapted them to a remote way of working. So we always had a town hall every week where we would share different information and, and you know, there'd be executive um forums where you could ask questions or there'd be presentations from different employees and it was a very 
open and transparent way of sharing information. Um, but those used to be Friday at 4 p.m. in our great hall. And uh, they were very much in-person events that were then live streamed to remote employees. Well, now everyone's remote, so everyone's a square on, on a screen, um, and that's kind of actually equalized the experience, so everyone's experiencing it the same way. Um, and uh, we've changed the times to make it more globally friendly. So Friday at four is, you know, already Saturday in other parts of the world, and so we've changed the time, and we do replays in the different regions to make that more uh, time zone friendly with, with the different folks we have joining us around the world. And uh, there's a channel where everyone can interact with each other during these uh, presentations so that you have that social element. There's people sharing, you know, pictures or, or having reactions or, you know, saying, oh, I love that or, or whatever. And so it really doesn't give it more of that community feel. Um, and then we've really gotten tight with what the messaging is there and making sure it's very explicit to the important things that we have going on. It's very mission focused. What are we building What and why? And, and really trying to connect the dots for people to make sure they're coming along with us. And so it's something we've been doing for years. Um, it's always been a unifying point in the week for the company, but I think going remote made us actually more intentional and more deliberate with how we were using that time. And then we made that time even better for people around the world where that was a problem we had before, but we weren't really addressing it until until we had to. So from a knowledge sharing, knowledge asset, knowledge reuse perspective, do you feel like it has solidified some of the practices that you had in place? Has it made people realize how important some of those things are? Has it been a net positive, do you think, from a, from a KM perspective, being all remote permanently? Absolutely. It's been a net positive because I think people realize that, that you know, it is much more difficult to find uh, information than, than it was before. There's a lot more content being created now that we're all remote. And so that's been another element as well as like, okay, now not only is it hard to find things, but there's so much more that I have to, to sift through. And so there's been a lot of different practices that have come out of, you know, this is how we're going to share this type of information. Uh, we're going to default to to asynchronous for these types of decisions where, you know, we're going to share videos in these cases. Like there's been a lot of different ways that people have tried to make sure they're sharing knowledge effectively, but then also that they're not creating information overload and, and overwhelm. Um, and we're looking at our different systems and our different tooling to make sure that we're collecting the right things and that we're, we're moving that in the right direction to kind of keep up with where we want the organization to go. Because the other thing is, is now that we're remote, we're hiring everywhere, um, which we weren't doing that before. Um, so we were dealing with a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people's, you know, uh, their orientation to how they want to consume and share information than we were before when we were, you know, primarily North American. Um, and so that's also kind of shifted our focus to make sure that we're being a lot more accessible and a lot more considerate of, of these different needs. Well, my next question was really asking you about your key takeaways for building trust in this digital workplace. And I wonder if the different cultures play into that, but what, you know, what are the, why is it so important to KM to build that crust, especially in a, in a remote workplace? And, and what advice would you give to somebody who's really struggling to build trust in their digital workplace? Absolutely. So trust is absolutely critical for 
information to be shared between people and for them to actually make full use of what's being shared with them. And people build trust in different ways. And so in some cases, it might be your personal preference or temperament um, that dictates how you build trust with others. But also, we want to see people's competence, their integrity, and their benevolence, right? And so if I believe that you know, you do really want to help me and that you're sharing this information in good faith, I'm going to be more likely to take that information. But if you're just some, you know, random person that's showing up in my inbox on a Monday and telling me something, it's probably not going to be a beneficial knowledge transfer. It's probably going to be a little bit cumbersome and have a lot of additional friction than it would if we were participants who knew each other well and, and had established a relationship. Uh, so I do think it's critical to give people time to build relationships with each other um, and to make time for those little conversations at the beginning or ends of meetings, sharing, you know, what you did on the weekend, what, uh, you know, what your pet looks like, all of these little things that help you build an understanding of that other person and help you get to know them, that's going to facilitate trust. In addition to that, I do think there's a way that we can build system trust so that people are trusting the systems in which they're sharing and collecting knowledge. And that part, I think, will really help us unlock that true like digital knowledge sharing in, in a distributed environment. Um, because you know, we now get into cars with strangers <laughs> We're using Uber or we let people into our home that are strangers using Airbnb. There's, there's a ton of different apps on the market where they have found a way to facilitate trust between people who don't know each other and allow them to engage in transactions that they never would have otherwise. And so thinking through some of those things and applying them to your knowledge management system and knowledge sharing strategy might actually be really beneficial. So for example, what do your employees profiles look like? Are those actually providing insight into who that person is, what their skills are, because skills will give an idea of competency and what are things that they have done before and, and how successful were those? Like all those different factors can help people uh, learn more about each other and that would help them share knowledge. So uh, the employee finder, the employee skills, all those things become critical in these digital environments. I think that's a really insightful way to talk about it, Dana, where you're thinking about how do you enable trust between individuals, but also how do you enable trust in the systems, trust in the content, trust in the communities that you're providing. And I think sometimes knowledge management may have a bigger role to play on the system side and the community side, even than on the individual side. So I think you're really, really smart to point that out. So I have one more kind of bonus question that I wanted to ask you, which is obviously you've had a collaborative experience bringing different authors together to um, collaborate on this book. And I wanted to ask you if there was anything that you learned about either Shopify's culture or other cultures in juxtaposing the, the different organizations that you have contributing to the book and their different experiences with culture. Were there any aha moments there? I think there were definitely some aha moments where there, there were things that we were doing at Shopify that we had been doing for a long time. And I'm not sure that, you know, with the taking the hindsight, you're like, oh, well, that was actually really valuable. <laughs> um, and, and so just the fact that we have these uh, transparent uh, forums for people to ask questions and to get answers. I, 
I knew that that was good from a strategy perspective, but I didn't understand what that signaled to knowledge sharing and that that openness and transparency that our executives were showing would then trickle down and, and help leaders at lower levels of the organization understand how to navigate knowledge sharing with their team. Um, some of those signals uh, that I just thought were, you know, these are nice to haves. I, I learned those were actually need to haves um, to, to make sure that we're having the right transparency and the right open com conversations and that that would actually be a huge predictor of the success of knowledge sharing uh, versus any, anything else. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the, the biggest one. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Dana. Will you remind everyone about what the book's called and where they can get it before we end? Absolutely. So the book was published by IGI Global. It's called The Handbook of Research on Organizational Culture Strategies for Effective Knowledge Management and Performance. And I also have a 50% off discount code to share with your audience. And so that's IGI50. I'm sure we'll share a link and uh, share that discount code when we, when we share the podcast. Absolutely, we will. Well, thanks again, Dana. And thank you to all of you for listening to this APQC podcast. Please go buy Dana's book and visit apqc.org to learn more about all things knowledge management. Mm -hmm.